Rock the Ripple. Rock the Ripple. The Rock the Ripple Podcast with Narita McInnes. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rock the Ripple podcast. I'm your host, Narita McInnes. It is so awesome to be here with you as always. And today is another very exciting day because I'm joined by a very special guest. He is a father, a husband, an adventurer, an explorer, a creator and owner of many businesses, the co-founder of the Living Free Movement. There is, of course, so much more to this awesome human. He is the one and only David Armstrong. David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. What an intro. Yeah, you know, I just, I practice these. I get excited that, you know, people like you are coming on the show. So I'm stoked that you're here. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Now, obviously today is, you know, at the start of a podcast and you would know this, doing lots of different uh, things uh, along the way, so many things. For people who may not have met you before and may not know anything about you, do you want to give a bit of an intro as to who is David Armstrong? Well, that's a complex issue, really. Yeah. I'm still trying to work it out myself. But um, I guess my business background, um, you know, I, I used to have, uh, I've still got an adventure company where I, my first business was scuba diving in Antarctica. So we sailed a yacht from South America down to Antarctica and then scuba dive down there for a month. Um, so that was my sort of adventure side. And then I started to do more and more adventures based on that background and I'd written some dive articles and, and that sort of thing. So I got picked up by an adventure company who did lots of Kokodas and um, other sorts of adventures as well. And I took over there uh, or set up their dive operations. And then with that, we ended up training people and doing all of that sort of thing as well. And then I ended up doing Kokodas and becoming a remote medic and doing that with them as well. So I got to do lots of Kokodas and um we did a big one, which was uh, we had about 150 trekkers, 150 porters, and we did a live telecast with Channel 7 Sunrise, um, which people may have seen on TV, where we had sort of Koshi and Kevin Rudd and those sorts of guys come across. Um, and then I went off and created my own adventure company where we did some Everest and Great White Shark diving and Vietnam veteran return tours and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but because I'd, I'd left Queensland, which is where I was teaching scuba diving, I came down to Melbourne to set up and I thought we needed a, a gym to train up those clients coming on an adventure. And I was going for a run and I decided that I liked the look of the new stadium, which was being built, which was Melbourne Rectangular Stadium at that time. And it was uh, well, after a bit of investigation, it was the home of the Melbourne Demons, the Melbourne Storm and Melbourne Victory. So I ended up taking over the management there and using the facility, this, you know, multi, multi-million dollar facility for training my clients for adventures. But because I had this now sports performance place, I thought I'd better set up a sports performance company. <laughs> so I ended up doing that as well. Uh, we set up a sports performance company and we ended up sort of spreading throughout a couple of states, uh, had multiple facilities and we set up a sports medicine company and then we set up education to train the athletes. And so we had an education arm to that. And that was all going really well. We were sort of cruising along. And then all of a sudden I had um, uh, my daughter. Um, and uh, that was the first sort of change in thinking about all of that. There was this crazy bloke called Nick Patterson. Um, and I say crazy because he was uh, a good friend of ours, but he was also an athlete of ours. 
um, as he was a professional MMA athlete. And he started talking about vaccination. He started talking about all of that sort of thing online. And that's when I started to research it for myself as my daughter had just been born and started to look into that. And uh, yeah, that was probably my first awakening, if you want to call that, into that world. So I had this corporate life. I had nice house and nice cars and cruising along and thinking how easy is life. And then all of a sudden I, I had this... Um, I started to think more spiritually, you know, on this path and um, looked into the the child trafficking as well. And obviously with my adventure background, I knew how to navigate, I knew how to do all different stuff. And um, and so, you know, there was a couple of things that happened. Is one, I I went to the middle of this oval, this football oval, and I was like, God, if 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 you're real, I'm assuming that you know what I've done because you're God, you know. Maybe uh, you know, use me in this crazy world, and um, and basically from there we lost all of our government contracts, a couple of million bucks worth. Um, things went downhill really quick, and we we were basically on our on our bare bones. I couldn't afford um, baby food for my my daughter, and I was like, what is going on? Like, if you know, we'd been going for over a decade, and everything we'd ever had thrown at us, we'd sort of dealt with, but. I sort of kept trying to do things in, in a positive way. And so one of the things that came up was a, um, a Facebook post that was talking about a underground bunker that was just found over in uh, the Arizona. Um, it was in Tucson, Arizona um, in the US, so on the border of Mexico and, and the US. And they'd found this underground bunker. There was 50 kids' shoes. There was rape trees. There was all this awful stuff. And they were calling out for people to, to go and help on a search and rescue mission. And uh, I texted Nick and I said, you know, actually, I think we had a call that night. And I said, mate, go check out this post. You know, it'd be great if we could get there, but neither of us could afford it. Um, and, you know, I, obviously he's, he's my MMA fighter, so I've got a bit of protection. And then also I can navigate. Um, and so anyway, the next day, $11,000 popped into his account overnight, no warning, no, uh, rhyme or reason as to why it turned up. And so Nick being a very, um, spiritual guide rang me the next day and said, we're going. And so we took off and, um, about a week later after this post, we're over there and, and helping this group over there. And, and that was really eye opening as to you know, what happened. Uh, we recorded what happened as we sort of went through. And then we received lots of death threats and mm -hmm. we got, um, you know, the government stopped us from going back into the US and all of these sorts of things. Um, but what it allowed us to do is to see the evil and to try to help. And we had a lot of victims reaching out. And so that was a very interesting time of my life because that sort of took over a lot of that emotional energy I had victims calling me up and spending a lot of time. And I had now, I think, one other child already there. Um, so I had two kids. And uh, so my mind is going to all these crazy places. And um, although there was a, I guess, fear, um, you know, which I didn't recognize at the time, it sounds crazy because I'm willing to put myself in these, you know, awful positions. But I came back and I was actually trying to tell everyone about this stuff. And I was like, you need to know, you know, this is why this is happening. And, you know, and what I found is that everyone was withdrawing, you know, from 
you know, now I'm crazy, Dave. You know, I've gone crazy. I used to have these companies. I was successful and I had this. And now I'm telling everyone about child trafficking and running around the, the, the desert in Arizona. So what I, I then realized as a personal journey is that I needed to shift in uh, what I was doing. And I started to just focus internally on myself. Um, and a lot of the things that we were trying to do in the, the child trafficking or anti-child trafficking stuff, um, the doors were shut pretty firmly. There was a guy that we were working with who was killed and there was another lady who went into hiding. And so that those sort of doors shut and then these other doors opened. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those were, were positive um, and some were, weren't so positive. So, you know, we started to um, do some things in lawful areas and um, that sort of thing. And I was helping another group. I was on the board with a group called Empower Movement. So I was building this um, group that was basically going to be international and we're doing all of that and using my business background to try to help them. And then I got a diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma a few years ago. So that was another shift. So then I had to start focusing on my health and researching that. But in, in doing so, I wasn't exactly sure what to do. I knew I didn't want to do chemotherapy. Mm-hmm but um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I then started to research and then share the information um, on a program called Heal Me, which is where we sort of started. And that's when I joined with Tom Barnett. And we started doing that and sharing that information along with other health things. And then we, uh, we basically did Lawful Me once all COVID came out. People needed that for the workplace um, and that sort of thing. And then we created Spiritual Me and Grow Me. And now we've got Academy and uh, and overall, we call that the Living Free Movement. So we've got an online platform where we're doing lots of stuff there. And, and it almost brings us through to where we're at now. But we've got a few more things um, that we're working on that we sort of catch up more in person and stuff, which we can go into further later. Mm. Wow. 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 That is there is so much to unpack there, David. There's so many things that I just want to ask you. And I think I'll probably try and just start at, at the beginning, first of all, with the businesses, and then very curious more about the child trafficking and, of course, your diagnosis as well. So with the um, businesses that you've done, I mean, Antarctica, you know, um, you know, I know that you, you've been there, but for people who uh, were going, wow, just drop that in. I just, you know, did some scuba diving in Antarctica. I mean, how did that even come about? Uh, it came about because I was in a dive shop and so in between teaching, like, like instructing, you would work in the dive shop and you'd be selling dive gear. It's pretty boring. And I, w- I was sent to a dive shop that was more technical. So they had more technical diving, but it was a bit quieter. So you'd sit there and you'd be playing solitaire and that sort of thing while people are, you know, not coming in because that's all you really had to do. Um, and then anyway, someone came in and they said, I'm about to go for a talk up the road on um, a boat that goes down to Antarctica. They sail down to Antarctica. And I said, oh, what time's that? And we worked out that I was going to be finished by that stage. So I went down and, and watched this presentation and it was a yacht called the Spirit of Sydney. It was... Um, Australian group they were they were based in Brisbane and they had this amazing yacht and uh and I just put my hand up and I said have you guys ever scuba dived down there do you know anyone and they said no and then they they found this footage of this this guy coming up and he was like this Russian guy which had this big bushy beard and he comes out through the ice and then instantly there's all these icicles on his beard and <laughs> and um and I was like that looks pretty hardcore but you know 
I, I then started to research whether you could actually pull this off as a recreational diver. Could I take people down there or did you have to be professional? And I uh, worked out that you didn't need to be professional. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just try to sell it to people and see if they want to come with me because I always wanted to go to Antarctica and see whales and dolphins and sharks and well, there's no sharks down there, but you know, the whale, the whales and, you know, all of that life, the seals mm. and everything I, I hadn't seen before. Um, and so I wanted that experience. I wanted to be underwater where you had amazing visibility and uh, I didn't know how to train up and do it. So I thought I better start researching and uh, that's what I did. So it took about a year and a half to put together and trying to market a trip in Brisbane, hot weather um, and <laughs> Convincing people to buy dry suits and train up and come to Antarctica with me was a bit of a task, but we worked it out in the end and got it going. And did you see whales? Did you see whales? We did. Yeah, we had killer whales around us. They they spotted around the boat. Um, I did want to jump in with them, but I was a little bit worried that they might eat me. Yeah, um, probably probably not the best idea. <laughs> yeah, they've never really eaten anyone except for that one that was in captivity. But yeah. Um, but yeah, humpback whales, lots of them, lots of seals. We got to climb up on icebergs and hang out with seals and penguins and all of that sort of thing. And then the underwater life was pretty um, different. So there was like flatworms that are like a metre long instead of like small little things and um, big starfish and Antarctic cod and um, that sort of thing. So, uh, and then we dived on shipwrecks and, and stuff. So oh. um, shipwrecks that were down there that were from the whaling days. Yeah. And so that was uh, it was all good fun, but I was 23 at the time. So the big thing that came out of that was really the realization um, that I could do anything if I set my mind to it. And and knowing that at that early age, I think really set me up for just going for, for things and just having that attitude of, you know, that I could pull off anything if I put my attention to it. Yeah, that's such a powerful lesson. And to, like you said, to be able to learn that at 23, I mean, there's some of us are learning it later, later, you know, so that's bloody awesome. That's fantastic. And then to, I mean, I just, the fact that you got to swim with whales, I'm just stuck on that for a minute, <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, but I think then um, segueing into, um, I guess, what would have been one of the most confronting things, and I could really relate when you said this as well, is um, around the child trafficking and wanting to be able to help there, like, for some reason, um, when you discover that, you think people will listen and you think they'll hear and you think that they want to um, do something about it. But it is quite an interesting thing when you learn that actually um, not everyone's ready to hear or they're just sh shut off. It's too much. Um, the cognitive dissonance is sort of there. Um, but even even with that, you still went ahead and you obviously had the... Um, divine moments that happened that led you to to go overseas and to go to where it would have been um yeah I guess you could say ground zero for uh, some people um and would have been quite horrific um to experience so do you want to talk a bit more about that yeah I mean we uh the the evidence of child trafficking over there is huge or the evidence I should say of trafficking so the, it goes yeah. for both drugs um, you know, people smuggling in and out yeah. and then, the, and then the, the child trafficking and the, um, that side of it. So the evidence that the cartels are 
are effectively about 150 to 200 kilometers into the US border. Mm -hmm. So they're actually managing um, all the mountains up on top. So we, when we first got over there, there was a group there, it was called Veterans on Patrol, and they were ex-vets, um, you know, army guys and everything that, you know, took us out to start off with. And so these guys uh, were from the Marines, um, you know, some, some were Air Force, that sort of thing. But in that area, they can have whatever guns they like. So you're talking about fully loaded, you know, looking like military guys in, in what they were doing. And they took us out to start off with. I'd worked with the guys I'd worked with, the adventure company, going back a bit. They were ex-SAS. Um, so one was a, a regimental sergeant major, um, which is basically the highest ranking soldier in the SAS. So he had about 550 men underneath him. Yeah. Um, and another guy was um, a commando. So I'd sort of, I, I guess, done an internship, if you like, with with these ex-military guys. So when I went over, I was very comfortable in that sort of leadership. And then um, I ended up leading some of the, the sort of um, exhibition, you know, going out and doing the stuff. So I, I sort of came up with some different plans. But what we found, which they hadn't found up until that stage, was we went out and did a, a night operation. And um, we sat there it was about midnight um i had nico and uh, nick patterson up on the mountain um with a sniper mm. covering us and um there was myself and a local lady who was who was there and we were down closer and and the reason that we were down there is she said that she'd hear them coming through her house was quite close she said she'd hear them coming through at nighttime sometimes so we waited there and then all of a sudden we started seeing some flashing up on the mountain that was up to our right and um and then we looked down to this house and that was flashing as well. So these same sort of green lights, one up on the mountain, one down below. And we're like, I think they're communicating with each other. Mm. So then we thought, well, we need to test this theory. So we kept Nico and the sniper up on the hill and myself and um, the local lady went down to her car, ju jumped in the car and we went down towards this house. And we said, you know, keep an eye on what's happening with the lights as we get closer and disturb them. And then the, the lights flashed quickly, went red and then off. Mm. And so we're like, okay, so that's how they're communicating. So once we worked that out, we were able to um, set up a lot more operations based around that. So we knew the house was a bit of a safe house where they trafficked them in. And then when we started looking at all the bags, they leave hundreds and there's probably millions and millions of bags, to be honest. Mm. And they're all camouflage bags that they use. So they're all the same bag. They, the um, people that have been trafficked pop their personal belongings in there. Um, they have people called coyotes, which are the, the people who um, trek them in and out. Um, and they'll have sometimes either, um, you know, lights to signal back and forth, or they might just have a little mirror and a lighter. And so they signal to the mountains. The mountains will tell them whether it's safe to come in and out. And then they go through the safe houses and that's how they move them in and out of the States. Um, and, and so once they get into the areas, um, the, the statistics are about 60 to 70% of the women and children are raped across that journey. And then uh, what we found was in this one particular area, with, and this takes research, we had people on the research side and everything, this one valley that you could see all the remnants of the, um, where they were trekking in and all their backpacks and everything went into this valley and this valley had, if you looked up the sex offender register, which you can over there, um, this 
there was probably about 20 houses in this one little section and pretty much all of them were convicted pedophiles and of the highest ranking and all the there was all these tracks going in there so uh and then with a bit more research they'd found um you know bodies there before and that sort of stuff so and you know it's a huge operation like it's it's massive um so not only the, the cartels but i you know a lot of border patrol and the police are involved and that sort of thing as well and so that's what you're up against so you, you know you've got police trying to disturb you they were pulling our cars over and trying to stop us and going out and doing these missions and yeah it's just it's crazy as to how big it is um, mm. and how out there it is because you know if you're really trying to shut it down um, you would be doing a, a much better job so um, so yeah that's that's what we sort of saw. We had a couple of encounters. The group continued to work after we left. Nico and I were only there for just under two weeks um, before we came back. And then we continued to help them online doing different things. Um, and they, yeah, they had quite a few instances where they found a group, like 110 people, kids that were dehydrated. Um, they, we found um, hay bales of, of marijuana, like massive hay bales where we disturbed them, um, that sort of thing. So, and I, I believe they're still operating now. Mm. they just keep it much quieter because of all the uh online attacks that they got yeah yeah so i mean it's huge isn't it and i guess what might be even more confronting if that's not confronting enough for people who haven't heard about this stuff before is it's not just happening overseas it's happening in our own backyard and it's such a uh, connected thing um isn't it and like you said if um it really wanted to be stopped it would be yeah yeah no it is big and uh, australia is quite big um you know we had a lot of people come forward once we did that because mm. we weren't really involved in it beforehand a lot of people came forward with their stories and a lot of elite stuff in australia as well um the connections and everything and so yeah it is pretty full-on but it, it's a, it's a really dark area and that's what i found is that i couldn't stay in the dark mm. um you know it was affecting my relationship with my wife um my concentration with, you know, and my ability to connect with my kids, mm. you know, those thoughts are going through, you know, as you're changing your child's nappy, you know, that sort of stuff. And you're like, yeah. that's just um, pretty hard. So, you know, once we we sort of move forward and we, we did all this other stuff with the living free and helping people take charge and responsibility and, you know, removing the fear and doing all of those things, the rewards and the the ability to inspire people it has been much greater. And to be honest, I feel like we've impacted a whole lot more lives in a positive way than what we're trying to do there. So it's um it's one of those things that it was a good experience. I'm glad it's not part of my current life. And I'm because mm-hmm. um yeah, you'd have to be a very special person to to continue to stay there and and focus in that area. Mm, absolutely. And um, I think I really like what you say too, because I resonate with so much of what you do and, um, you know, you've gotten to know a bit about me as well. And I know that when we are working with people to help them to live their fullest potential while we're doing it ourselves, obviously it all starts with us. That's the stuff that shifts consciousness. That's the stuff that really makes a difference. We're energetic beings and we create ripple effects that are uh, spread further than we can ever imagine. And I know that that's the work that you do in the living free movement, that that's what's happening. Like they're just ripples and ripples and, uh, we, we just can't imagine how much um, 
when we do that work on ourselves. Um, and even that work itself, though, it's it's not always sexy and pretty, is it? Um, you know, we, we've got to deal with our own traumas and our own um, experiences and not get stuck there either to acknowledge it and to know, okay, there's something here for me to work on, uh, but then to sort of, I guess, transcend, tr transmute and, um, you know, step into more of who we are by doing that. Would you yeah, agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all on this journey and that's mm. the that's the part that I think that, you know, there's no one that's higher or lower. Some people just have mm. a little bit more knowledge in some areas than others and some may have just started that journey. But, you know, we're actually all on this journey and, and we're all constantly learning and trying to apply and work out how that is. And for those who are seeking the truth, you've got to constantly burst that that reality bubble. I call it a reality bubble, this <laughs> bubble that we put around ourselves and we go oh yep I know how the world works now and and then we'll, you know someone says something different you go that can't be the case because that breaks my 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 bubble of reality mm. and that's that's the thing is that we really don't know the depths of lies and deception that we've had over the years mm. really know how much we've built our truth on on those lies and so we really in this journey have to be open to the fact that we don't know it be okay with each option, you know, no matter what that is, mm. and, um, and just continue to try to, I guess, firstly get to know ourselves and get to know how powerful we are as individuals. And then that, I think, is the number one secret that they don't want us to know is that we actually have so much more power. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at everything that's being done with traumas, with fear, with everything that you see on the news, with COVID, every, everything that they're throwing at us, you know, even to the point, and I'm going to put churches in this, everything is about just removing you a bit from the truth. Yeah. It's not allowing you to get to know yourself and how powerful you are, and that's what they don't want you to do. And so, you know, that's the secret is that we have to help people on that journey to get to know themselves and to start believing that they're powerful and mm -hmm. that they can change their reality. They can change what's happening around them. And by us doing that as a collective, we can change what's happening on a on a more global scale as well with those ripple effects and everything that you talk about. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We really we're freaking powerful. <laughs> we are. We are so powerful. And the, and like you know, like you said, like when you're trying to stay seeing things, trying to keep you in fear or trying to keep you in those low vibrations. I mean, when you're stuck in those places, you know, you can't think clearly or think critically, but when you're standing in your power and you know who you are and you're like, you know, I've got this and you know that the more you know, the more you don't know, but you still are open to um, to to what comes in, but you are still standing in your power. I mean, that is just so freaking powerful. It's mm. so freaking powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And and you look at like everything that they're, they're feeding to us. Mm. Like they, they don't want you to know that thing. So why is it that they don't want you to know? Mm. is it that they they don't want us to to go into that part why do they keep you know using fear as a technique to keep us at that lower vibration mm. because they can control us and you know they can't control something that is um not fearful um knows who they are mm. you know and and will stand in that power no matter what they do it's you know so the world becomes almost irrelevant the the world that they're trying to give to us mm. and you know, we start focusing internally on what that is 
and growing and, and you have to know it inside, right? You have to have this really deep knowing that it's true. And, you know, I think we spoke about this previously. It's like, what do you do if you don't know that yet? And, and I said, do you fake it till you, till you make it? And you said, absolutely. You keep, keep doing that part. But then once you know it inside, there's all these amazing things that can start to change in your reality. And, um, you know, in turn, you can start to inspire others. And, you know, all of those talks that I wanted to have with people about, you know, the anti-child traffic you know, or this or whatever it was, those people then start to come back, you know, come back to you because they're attracted to the fact that you're, you know, now happy. You're now, you know, a more inspirational being. You're working at a different frequency. So that attracts them back to you and you can have those conversations. But before, when I was coming from this fearful place of you must know this, you need to know this, you know, it was like it pushed everyone away, which I understand now, but at yeah. the time I didn't. And so that I think is probably where a lot of people are stuck. Mm. And, and it's a big thing of the, you know, the part of, I guess, waking up, if you want to use those terms, that people are online and their keyboard worries and they're trying to attack the world. And, you know, they did their job because they gave a thumbs up to that and they told that person what they thought. And, you know, this sort of this reality that's been created, but it's not helping. Mm. And it's not helping shift that that bigger part because they'll say, oh, you know, I'm educating people. Like, you know, people need to wake up more. They need this. It's like, no, no, you just need to start actually living the life that you are saying and start inspiring others and start creating the new stuff. Mm. So people can come across to that and they have, they've got an option. So it's no longer, you know, a thing where you're forced to do something. You've got a different option. And, and we, we really haven't... Um, we're at the infancy of working out what that looks like, you know, those, those um, different options of what we want to create. Mm, yeah. And that's, and that's the thing we're creators and the powers that were, or how you ever want to say it, like they know that we can create. So if we're keeping in this fear state and we're constantly looking at all the shit, that is what we're going to constantly keep creating. So exactly to your point, when we then uh, step into our power and we become an inspirational person to ourselves and we uh, we do what it is that that we want to do and be the change that we want to see in the world, that is the thing. That's it. And it's that simple. It's that simple. It's nuts, isn't it? It's just nuts yeah. that it's that simple. Yeah, and, and the fact that that's all in your head, you know, the fact that you have this control, like I always find it, Amazing. I use the 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 analogy of like, you know, grief. You know, mm. if, if you've lost someone, it's like you can choose to to mourn them for as many years as you like. Some people will mourn them for the, the rest of their life and they're focusing mm. on the fact that they're not here and they're not there. And, you know, I don't have this experience. Or you can shift your, your thinking to being grateful for, for, for all the experiences that you did have. Mm. And so then you focus on the good things and then things start to relax. So you know, that can take someone a month, a week, whatever, but the decision is actually up to you as mm. to decide to focus on from the negative to the positive. And in doing so, you, you're able to move on. So we have that power. We've just got to decide when we actually want to do these things. And, you know, this isn't, I, I hate the idea that people think that, um, you know, we, we talk about this stuff in a way that it's like, I know it all or, yeah. you know, follow me and you'll work out the way to be enlightened to the next level. Like it's none of that stuff. It's just, Hey, this is what I've found along my journey. Mm. Maybe some of these things will help you shortcut some of those things for yourself. Mm. 
don't have to go through all the craziness and run across Arizona to work out <laughs> these things. And, and, you know, that's really what it is. It's sharing from that point because, you know, the more people that are, um, you know, living their lives in that way, the bigger shift that we're going to have um, mm. in the overall. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The bigger shift we will have. And I love that you said that too because uh, we don't have all the answers. We're all finding our own way and, like, we can, all we can do is speak from our experience and some of us have had big ships to turn around in different areas and in other places in our life, we've been nailing it. Like it's sort of, you know, and like you said before earlier on, like some people know a lot about this subject and you might not know much about it, but that doesn't make you less than. It just means they know more about that subject and you know might know more about this thing. Like we're all pieces of the puzzle of life. Like we've all got our own gifts and things to share, don't we? And then that's how we create. Uh, what it is that we want to create we can't all be rocket scientists and we can't all be you know whatever like it's we're all pieces of that aren't we yeah absolutely I think finding your calling is like the the most important part to that and you know that's like on living free we've got all these sections and I I know decent amount on some of those sections Mm -hmm. but there's some like you know growing for example I've got no idea. I've killed pretty much every plant that I've ever tried to grow. And so we've got this growing section. We've got experts over there that can help those that are on that journey in the lawful stuff. Mm. I know the upper jurisdictional stuff in law merchant and a bit about that. But we start talking about constitution and statutes and everything. And then we've got an expert on that. But I've mm. got no idea. Like I, I've got a terrible memory recall. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember these statutes and everything. Everyone thinks it's funny because I've got no idea on, on that side, but that's okay yeah. because my calling is actually not to be the expert on all these areas. My calling is actually to bring a community together and for us to learn. And part of those things are it depends on what is your calling as to what you need to learn. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know everything about everything. And that's where, you know, people go, oh, it's so overwhelming. It's like, well, it is if you try to do everything. Mm. You try to hone in on what's your calling, what's your true reason to being here, what's your, I call it genius, what's your genius Mm. um, in this world, bringing that together and focusing on that, then you're going to know what pieces of the puzzle that you need to know. And you might need to learn how to operate in the private or you might need to learn how to protect, you know, your property or whatever it is on a legal sense. But you don't need to know every statute and every know how to go to court and do all of these things. You just need to know that part. Mm. And then you've got other people that can help you. And that's really the big part of a community is that we all have pieces of the puzzle and we can all bring that together and and help each other, um, you know, speed up that process of, Mm. uh, of where we need to get to. Yeah. And it's such a, a, a cool community too. Like if people have got a question, I, you know, anyone can just jump in and sort of go, oh, well, I've seen this or have you seen that? And that's what's beautiful about it. And all you need to do is ask. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't know. And if you don't have a question, you don't know that there's something you need to know. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, so it's, um yeah, it's beautiful what you've, what you've brought together there. Um, a, a Really, a really cool community. And it's been, how long has it been running now? Oh, two and a half, three years. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. so there's so much content there. And then obviously one of the big things that we've tried to focus on now is like moving away from just online. We mm. have a lot of community catch-ups. Um, we're building the, the retreat 
um, up in the Byron hinterland where we're going to do focus on sort of health retreats, but other retreats as well. Um, and then we're going to do a festival coming up um, next year as well. We're bringing out international guests and do that sort of thing. So it's now sort of like planting that knowledge and um, utilising that for that next stage of what do we do? How do we be more independent? How do we be more uh, responsible, um, you know, in our lives? And how do we less need those things that are causing us, I guess, harm, mm. um, you know, in our day-to-day lives? So, you know, whether that be growing or your health, you know, side or whatever that is, um, you've got that knowledge there and then you start to plant that back into, you know, grounding it into to what we're doing. Mm, that's awesome. It's so awesome. Um, and you mentioned health as well. Now that's something as well that you talked about. So do you want to talk a bit more about your story with that, with your health diagnosis and how you've coped and uh, what you've been doing with it? Yeah, sure. So um, so it would have been a couple of, uh, what is it, two and a half years ago now, maybe. Mm. Um, I, uh, I felt some lumps on the side of my neck. And I went and got those checked out. Um, they said, oh, I think it could be lymphoma. Um, but I wasn't sure at that stage. They wanted to take a biopsy. I didn't want them to do a biopsy because I'd learned enough to go, um, you know, with a biopsy that if it was cancerous, that it can actually open up those channels and, and essentially leak out that sac. So right. they make it worse. So uh, so I, I spent a couple of months trying to do other research on how you could get a diagnosis without doing that. Uh, I did a thermogram and a thermogram's like a heat map that indicated that it was possibly some, an area there of concern as well. Mm. And then, uh, I ended up doing a neck dissection. So they took out three lymph nodes. So they cut open the neck and then take out the, the lymph nodes and then they can biopsy it all they like. They're not. Um, so then it came back as Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so, uh, so that was a bit of a shock. Um, I knew I didn't want to do chemotherapy, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. The first few days I was feeling pretty down, you know, like looking at my kids going, you know, do I have to savor this moment? Do I have to think about this? You know, what, what are they going to be like without me? You know, I've got three kids now, Mm. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. So that was a pretty negative sort of thought process for a couple of days. And then, I had this um, overwhelming feeling that my what I was going through wasn't about me. Mm. It's a really strange sort of feeling. And I was like, hang on, I think this is about something else. And maybe I'm being tested in this way because I will go to places that others might not with my my background and just that sort of attitude. So, uh, so yeah, I started to research, but I also wanted to go through the general medical system and see what that would do so I'd test it so I'd go and um, speak to the oncology team at the Olivia Newton John clinic and they would say you've got to do this and you've got to do this and I'd ask them questions and I'd upset them because I'm asking questions they don't want me to ask and then they ended up asking me not to keep coming in <laughs> really so, oh, yeah wow. they're like uh yeah we don't think that you should be doing any more appointments oh wow <laughs> and I was like okay um so anyway about six months after my diagnosis, my stepdad was actually diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. When he got diagnosed on day dot, I'd already, so I already had my protocols in place that I was doing. And so I literally just gave him half of everything I had and said, start. And so that on that day, he started, he was much more aggressive mm. being non-Hodgkin's than what mine was. 
Um, and so he went then through his own journey, ended up doing IVs and everything as well. Um, and his latest results have sort of showed that he would be classed as in remission. So uh, so then there was that, and then there was obviously sharing it with the community. So, you know, that journey, I think, opened up Heal Me. It opened up Law for Me and Spiritual Me and all of those things until we got to Living Free movement. And so I really feel like that was the catalyst and there's been so many blessings from that diagnosis. Um, you know, I, I'm still going through what I would say a detoxing phase of everything that's left over in my body. So mm -hmm. I would say that I'm clear, but I, I've um, learned a lot across that way and um, still working on cleaning up my body. So th that journey still continues. Um, but, you know, my mindset on what my purpose is and why that all occurred um, is certainly very different than the first couple of days. Mm, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. It's um, it's definitely a powerful uh, thing and um. I do see how that would have helped your stepdad, like you said, and it's been the catalyst to create something beautiful. And these sort of things do allow for that if we allow for it, you know, and if we get stuck there. So um, if you're okay, I'll share something as well um, uh, from, from, for me. Um, so about 11 years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and that was a diagnosis that came out of nowhere. And had I not been doing the personal development work up until that point, I think I would have been, um, I would have handled it a lot differently. So for me, I just sort of went, well, um, I'm not going to um, be a victim here. I'm going to be a survivor, you know, like, uh, and I knew and had enough um, knowledge to know that if I was to stay in that place, that it would just get worse. Um, but uh gratefully it was almost like you said it was it's part of the story that had to happen but it um you know you became more of who you are because of it and it for me I don't know if this is the same for you but for me it was like um I just I I, I was able to um to become more of all that I was to remove more of the layers and to really learn even more about myself and the um, doing all these different healing things and all that sort of stuff which I just I guess opened my eyes to uh, even more of that um, but I guess I was grateful just because I had um, like I said before that that time beforehand but I've learned so much and I continue to learn like you said where it's a continual journey um, and you know, for me, it does, I don't even feel like, I mean, I, I haven't thought of, I don't really think about it um, very much at all. And I don't even feel like I've got it to be honest, but, um, I think it helps you to get you on the paths that you need to get on as well. Um, but it's part of your story. That's where I was going to get to. It's not the, your story. It's just part of your story. Do you kind of feel that as well? Yeah. I can remember having this conversation with my wife very early on she's because you know some of these um appointments that i'd had you know you paid a thousand dollars for an integrative doctor to sit down with you for three hours to go through you know where you're at and what your options are and all that sort of thing and then i, I wanted to share that information um in fact i didn't want to share it my wife thought i should share it and she mm. said you should start up a site because i've done community sites before she goes you should share this information and i said no, to be honest, I've got bigger things I, I want to focus on. I've got, you know, I, I see it as a speed bump on my journey. 
and I don't really want to focus on it. I don't really, and, and I hate this idea of this poor me shit. Yeah. Like I just hate this, you know, look at me, oh, I'm a little cancer survivor or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I just didn't want that to be my story. Yeah. And I say that I'm not trying to be harsh to, to those who have got that and that's their story, but it wasn't my story. I didn't mm. want that to be my story. I just wanted it to be done. Yep, tick, tick that box and on to the, these other projects. Um, so for me, I think it was like my wife pushed me and she said, you should share this information. And then when we had a lot of collated good information to share, I thought, yeah, okay, I probably should because I probably lost three to four months of research before I really got onto uh, a strategy that I think was was helping mm. at least stopping the the growth and all of that sort of thing. So that's time wasted, and some people don't have that luxury, I guess, of that much time to waste. So, um, so I thought, yeah, it's relevant to to put it out, but I really didn't want it to be my story. And I, I see it on TV. I still get really frustrated with the, um, you know, the way in which we're we're taught to be victims Mm. it's like they've got the can you know they'll have it on home and away or whatever not that i watch that but yeah you know whatever it is (laughs) it's always like a sob story right and then they've got ads on tv and then they've got you know these poor people with you know no hair and all of this and that's the association with cancer right is that's no this and it's like hang on maybe the thing that's keeping these or killing these people is actually the chemotherapy there's an idea Mm. maybe we're taught to be victims so even the fact of and what I really enjoyed um in a sick kind of way was you know them when they gave the diagnosis and what they did and the fear that they'll try to put in and I, I could see it and I was just sitting back and I was watching I was like wow you guys are taught to do this mm. to try to put fear into people so that they react and they just follow whatever you want um, and because that didn't work on me, I was able to ask questions and that's what they didn't want. Mm. I can remember one conversation with one of the oncologists. She, um, I, I asked about the biopsy. I said, you know, I'm worried about this needle. Is there any other way? And she, and then she sort of said, you need to make a decision right now what you're going to do, because I don't want you to waste my time. And I don't, I don't want you to, be, and I, and I was like, hang on, I just asking I think like with my health, I should have the option to ask a question. Why is that so triggering for you? Are you refusing to give me medical treatment? Mm. And she's like backed off and, you know, all of this. But it's really interesting just to sit back as an impartial sort of in your mind and allow that to to reveal itself. So I felt like that was part of my journey as well Mm. so that I could share that and I could understand others who had chosen to go down that, that field. And um, yeah, it it was fascinating to watch. Mm. Well, it comes back to that whole when you're in fear as well, then you make those decisions, and um, and it's understandable too. I mean, some things come out of nowhere for people, and it can be quite the shock. Um, and then you know, um, but yeah, I think we're very much on the same page about that. It, it's 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 a bump in the road. It's not it's not your story, and if you stay in that, then I mean, you're no good to yourself or anyone, are you? No, no, I, I would, um, I don't tell that many people actually. I, I no. hockey, you know, I, a few people know my hockey team. Um, most people don't. You know, my mum is a warrior, and so she worries about everything. And so it was her husband and myself who were both diagnosed. And 
So she just, you know, running around. I, I had this conversation. It was pretty much straight after the diagnosis. And I said, mum, don't bring that shit into my house. Mm. And she said, what do you mean? I said, if you want to help, and I'm not going to have you around me if you're going to put all of that fear and all of that anxiety and bring that to me every time. Mm. Like, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, if you want to help, you actually need to be really positive and do those things. And from that point forward, she was an absolute champion. Mm. But I do think that you have to set those boundaries for yourself in that, that one, you don't want to share your story with everyone because otherwise people don't know how to react. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Yeah. Like, sorry for something that's got nothing to do with anyway. Yeah. Part of it. Um, and so you don't, you only tell those people that you really need who are going to support you on that journey mm. and then set those boundaries of how you, you know, want that interaction to occur. So most people don't even bring it up with me, even if they know, mm. um, you know, what that diagnosis is, because I just don't want to talk about it, but yeah. I'll talk about it for educational, like what we're doing here. Yeah. You know, it's really not to do with my day-to-day -day life. It mm. does change the way I go about my life in the fact that, you know, what I eat, um, you know, exercising and trying to do all of these things that that's my day to day, but that's really the catalyst um, that put me into looking after my body, you know, my body more. Mm. And I, you know, and that's the thing, like these catalyst moments there, um, they allow us to, to go either way. Like I, I've got another friend who was diagnosed, um, with diabetes and um it tra transformed his life to the absolute way better like he's like a fitness freak now and it's just incredible and that's um but at the time it it was really a, a big for him and then you know and now like it's been the best thing that's ever happened because he's the fittest healthiest happiest he's ever been you know um and to your point as well too like it's um you don't want people saying oh you poor thing I'm sorry I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Like this is just like, it's just part of my my journey and you would be feeling the same. And like, I'm the same as you. I don't really talk about it. Um, I don't even know if I've shared it on a podcast before. Like it's just, it's just, um, you know, and for me it's been years, but it's, you just, you want to get on with your life and, and do what your purpose is. And part of your journey and part of what you've gone through has um, seen you walk down this path, which like you said, has helped your st stepdad and has created this incredible um, platform that you now uh, run and, and you just get on with life, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that for all of us, we can take something from that. We can, mm decide what we you know what we want to hold on to like our previous story and whatever mm -hmm. we want um and you know if that's the story that we keep repeating that's going to be where our life goes so we need to really create those new stories uh, you know and and be part of that because otherwise we're just repeating the same old one and you can see you know i even think that potentially cancer grows with fear yeah and I would oh, say God. potentially the same thing for your MS. Yeah. That potentially it grows. If you stay in that fearful state, it's it's going to continue to to grow and get worse. Mm -hmm. But you so the less you focus on those things and the more you focus on yourself and how powerful you are, I think the less it has the ability to grow. Mm. You know, so and whatever that is in energetic stuff, that this is your area that not mine, but on a frequency <laughs> level, I, I I feel like if you're, you know, focused on love and you're focused on those higher frequencies, I don't think cancer can grow in that. 
I, I just don't believe that that's the way that it works. There's something in which, um, and and so therefore we ha have to choose what story we want. You know, are we going to choose that story of victim um, or are we going to choose a different story? And that, once again, the power that just comes back to your mind, which one do you want to be your story? Yeah, a million percent. And that's, yeah, like you said, that's the, why I do the work that I do because when we stay in a frequency of victimhood, fear, whatever it might be, we're creating more of the same. We go back to what you were saying before too, like, we are so powerful and the media trying to keep us in fear, the diagnosis trying to keep us in fear, the mum worrying trying to keep us in fear without doing it intentionally. Like all of those things will keep us on a frequency that is not going to shift us. And if we can't, um, if we can't step out of that and step into a higher frequency, then we will keep creating more of the same. So knowing and just how powerful we are, why would we do that? We would, we would do the work to then um, align with the frequency of our highest potential, which is what I would usually say. And when we do that, it doesn't mean that it's going to be all rosy and easy. There's a good chance, like when you are standing in the middle of the oval, that all, when you say, I'm going to align with the frequency of my highest potential, your moment was, use me, show me what I need to do. Everything fell to shit. That is because you needed all the crap to fall away that wasn't important, that wasn't necessary for you to be your best. So that's what we're doing when we're doing that. So, um, you know, like you do different healings along the way. You you know, if, if you say, I'm going to align with this, this is what I choose. And again, it's the decision, isn't it? You make that decision. You choose to do that. And then you might uh, come into contact with an amazing healer that helps you look at some trauma that maybe you haven't dealt with or didn't know was there or is part of your ancestral line and you work on that and to release that because there's a lot as well in our subconscious mind that is playing out old patterns and programs and emotions and um, stories that we might not be aware of and when we start to release those then we we can again step up level step into our power even more have you found that as well with you like with looking at different trauma and just different behaviors and how you've been as well has helped yeah absolutely I, I think sometimes we've also got to make room for whatever that is yeah and so you know cleaning up those parts of your life like for me you know going through that stage of losing everything from the business side of things um I actually needed it I, mm. you know I was at a point where everything was going well and I was probably focused on the wrong things, you know, like what that wealth does. It's like, you know, okay, we could get a different car. We could do this. You know, it's that type of um, thought process. You know, we were talking about let's buy a boat, you know, and and the boat was just to really just show off to others, you know, yeah. so that they, we could do business meetings on there or whatever. And it's like, you know, that's that's where I was. So there's ego, there's, attachment to money there's all of these things that was all taken away and it was the biggest blessing ever you know for me to actually come to those realizations and I look back now in retrospect and most of the time it doesn't make sense at the time of what you're going through it's very overwhelming mm -hmm. but with a bit of retrospect especially if you start to think positively on on things and you can keep that mindset but you know in retrospect I look back and I go I had to go through that part that was a necessary part in my journey to remove and shed those things to make room for that other part. And for me, I was like spiritually, I was closed off. I was like atheist, if you want to say that. I was like against all of that. 
I thought everyone was a nutter. And now I listen to myself on some of this spiritual stuff. And I'm like, this doesn't even sound like the same person. But I was just slowly open to the fact that there was things that I didn't realize. And for me on the spiritual side, it came from the fact that, you know, I'd seen all the evil side of it with the child trafficking. So it's still at that point, I was an atheist. And then the more and more I spoke to victims and the more I understood what you know, they were doing in the satanic ritual stuff, I was like, okay, there must be the other side. So I started to look into to that more. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't like religion, you mm-hmm. know, like as a, I think all of that's been corrupted, but there is a, a higher spiritual stuff. And I, I do believe that there is a God and I do believe that we can tap into um, those beings that are there to help us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we can ha- have guidance and all, all the rest of it. But that to me, you know, five years ago, I, I would have said that you're a nutter and get out of my house, you know? <laughs> so it, I guess being open to the fact that we don't know and being open to change and the more that you give up to what you're meant to be doing here, that calling, um, I think the more that you get guided as to what you're meant to do and, um, yeah, you have to be ready to let go of some of those preconceived ideas that you knew at all in that area. Yeah, it's a big lesson on trust. There's like trust and patience and then timing. Do you feel like that? I mean, for me, I know that's been big things, like especially when I've wanted things to work and I can, I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I get so fucking frustrated that I just like couldn't, you know, things would uh, flow. Like, have you found that as well? Like what have been some of your biggest lessons? The, the frustration part, Nico and I, we were, we were always trying to do something good, right? So yeah. we had this conversation and his um, journey, it, it's it's funny, he had this sort of spiritual moment, I guess, when we started to get together and he was in the um, fighting in the cage. I went to watch him and he had this prayer before he went out and he said, God, I know that the world's evil and all the rest, but put me on the path of what you know I'm meant to do. And, and he was up for a UFC contract. And um, so he was trained for, I don't know, 10 plus years to be in this position. And then he's like, I, I don't think I'm meant to be on this fight, but you tell me like if this is what I'm meant to do. Anyway, he goes out and he gets smashed. He gets beaten up, his arm dislocates and, wow. uh, and he can't fight back. And this guy that he should have won, who was basically set up to, to, to be a guy that, you know, helps his record towards that UFC contract, um, beats him. And I was like the first one back after stage, you know, I went back and I saw him with his dislocated arm and I said, you know, tough, tough day in the office, mate. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, but, you know, I've been watching some of your posts and there's some stuff we need to talk about. Like, and so it was basically that point forward. Now he asked to be, have that person that was, you know, like give me the people that are going to help me on this journey. And I was the first one back there. And ever since we've done, you know pretty much all of this these things together and if you know nico's story he's pretty amazing guy as well and um you know so there's a a lot a lot there to unpack but we were hugely frustrated like for years we're like this is shit like why why isn't this happening we're trying to do all of these good things and even with the anti-child trafficking stuff like all the doors shut which was makes sense now but it didn't at Mm. the time you know those sorts of things um, we're like, why did you open up this door only to basically slam it in our face afterwards? And, um, you know, so there, there is a lot of frustration as you're going through that, but you start to look back and you start to realize that it was meant to be that way. And, you know, I talk about Nico's story where he had this interaction with 
the police, he had 20 something police turn up to his premises because he wasn't shutting down over COVID. Mm. And, um, and so this series of events had to occur. But basically there was a bunch of people in the gym. There was a guy who was leaving the gym and he starts driving down. He gets pulled over by the police and he goes, got these big gates at the front of his gym. And so he goes outside the gates to try to help this guy. And there's all these police out there and then someone shuts the gates and they lock it. And so now he's stuck on the other side of the fence with 20 odd police. Hmm. And then they said that they want to get access to his gym. And he has this interaction. It ends up going viral. And I said, Nico, do you not realize what just occurred? Like the series of events to put you on the other side of the fence where you've got all of these police because you're now not this guy just mouthing off to these police behind the fence and you know, sprouting all these laws. You're on their side and they couldn't touch you. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what was inspiring to all of these people. But that was not planned, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what happens with these things. You start to go, that doesn't make sense. And I can't explain it in a different way mm-hmm. is that, that was meant to occur. Now his life has drastically changed since that event. And he's gone on to do all of these amazing things as well. So, you know, I think we look back and you go, okay, well, that was part of the journey. But leading up to that, there was probably two years of us trying to do things and just being frustrated and just going like, you know, almost yelling out going, God, what am I meant to be doing? Like, you know, that level of frustration. Mm. Uh, and that's okay that's part of the journey but that also I think shows your heart and your desire when you keep pushing and you want to do something and Mm. then I think that the opportunities you've got you know will open up from that point Mm. it's like you really want this you're going to keep pushing shit uphill for a bit longer and just see how much because a lot of people would um you know when they are faced with that sort of stuff they might give up and maybe it's because that's not their path and that's okay um, but then maybe, you know, yeah, we're, it, I don't want to use the word tested, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're tested with these things. And then, like you said, you don't like you, things just don't make sense. And you can look back and go, it was supposed to happen that way. <laughs> but, you know, far out wasn't it a journey. <laughs> yeah. And look, I, I see that, you know, we've all got a role to play mm. like, and you've got to work out what that role is. And sometimes that role could be on the sidelines, on the interchange, you know, sometimes it could be as the striker or whatever, if you're thinking of a game of football yeah, or soccer or whatever, we've all got that role to play. But at some stage, that ball's going to come to you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, have you done that work to be able to be a part of that? You know, it says in the biblical, many are called and few are chosen. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, you know, we're all, you know, I think we're all called. Those who are in this position right now are called. And it's just whether you do that work to be, you know, part of that chosen. I think it, that's really our job is to try to get ourselves into the position where we uh, are having an effect on the bigger, you know, scale of what's what's this world's really about. Because I look at things in, you know, I think historically we're going to look back in these times and maybe there's going to be books written about it and all the rest of it. And it's like, this is the most exciting adventure I've ever been on. Yeah. And, you know, we have the ability to be a part of that. Maybe we even chose to be here at this very time. Yeah. And we need to work out what that part is for this very time because there's nothing like it, you know, in historical terms. I don't think there's anything like where we're currently at. And so I just see it as an opportunity. It's like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? 
why wouldn't you want to try to work out what that part that you're going to bring to the table is? Um, and that's what we should be all trying to delve down and, and make sure that we're doing as big a ripples as we possibly can with the skills that we've got. Yeah. Oh, that mic drop. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's so true because where everyone is called everyone. I do feel like everyone chose to be here at this time and whether we choose to, uh, yeah, find our purpose and what our uh, meaning is for it. And you know what? It probably changes along the way too. You know, before you were a father, you know, there was different things that were your calling um, and to afterwards as well. And you just, it is an exciting time to be here. It's crazy, but it's exciting. It's an adventure, like you said. And yeah, like I think I remember Gareth Ike talking in an interview once and he said, you know, if you, you had to choose to whether to play in a game where you um a soccer match, footy match, and, you know, you won by 200 points or you cho you could play in a game where you it was like down to the wire and you won by one point. Like which game would you choose? Which would be more exciting? And most people would choose, well, I won't say most people because not everyone would, but you choose the game where everything's happening, wouldn't you? I would for sure. I love those yeah. games. Yeah. You know, I still play competitive hockey now and, and they're the favourite ones. You know, sometimes we drop back into a competition. It's just too easy. I can't be bothered. Yeah. I'm not inspired. I don't really try. Mm -hmm. But when, you, when you're in a competition that's really hard um, or, you know, the competition is equal to you, mm -hmm. then, then those wins mean so much more. And I, I think we are. We're in a big battle for sure. But um, I, I do think we win. And so, yeah. you know, knowing that inside you, I think, is really important. And mm -hmm. then it's more of a choice of like, you know, do you want to be a part of that winning team or do you just want to sit back and watch it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and, and maybe there's not necessarily a right or wrong or, or on that, but to me, I want to be a part of it. So I'm going to go get in there and I'm going to have a crack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we're past, you know, for those who are scared, I guess, of coming out and, and doing that, because for me, I had a public profile. I had companies, I had contracts with government, I had contracts with universities, all of that. Mm. You know, there was a point in time where I was like, I'll just be behind the scenes. I'll help these groups. I'll do this. I don't want anyone to know that I'm actually doing this stuff. And then there became this time where I had to come out and I was like, okay, that's what I'm meant to be doing. But what that did was it actually closed these doors of being able to go back into that sort of arena and then I was like, hang on, but the, the doors of opportunity have never been so big for me now. And it's like, so, you know, sometimes you think that you're closing off, you know, doors or you're restricting yourself by doing your true calling. Mm -hmm. um, but realistically, I think you're opening up more doors and you're not even aware of them. So step out, I, I guess, of that fear mm -hmm. um, of, of that. And the other part of that fear is that, you know, they, if I do this, are they going to be, are the police and, you know, SWAT team going to knock down my door and do these things? And I, you know, potentially years ago, maybe that would have occurred. Like when you were the only one standing up mm. doing this, I don't think that that's the case anymore. I see it as like a, um, a water tank and there's so many holes in it and they've only got so many fingers to try to plug up these holes. And now it's like, okay, it's just going to happen. So, you know, I think that you can remove that fear that that's the world that we live in. I don't think that um, that is the case. And it certainly hasn't been my case. And maybe there's a level of protection in what we do, but uh, not too many people have put themselves out there to that level, you mm -hmm. know, with the trafficking stuff going public and 
sites and doing all of that stuff and even having premises where we we do sort of health things and everything as well so mm -hmm. if they were going to target us they would have already come in some greater capacity so feel safe in the fact that I don't think that that's the world that we currently live in mm -hmm. even though the perception is that you are I think just go for your genius and um, be the most fantastic person and bring the most stuff that you can um, without that concern that the, the world is going to, you know, tread on you or break you or put you in jail or whatever it is. Just, um, yeah, lose all of that and just go for it. Mm. And I think even like if you do just go for it with that right intent and you know your own calling, I think there's a protection around you. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah, couldn't have said that better. It's just, you know, you just got to go for it. And again, like we said before too, if you're going to stay in fear, that will create more of that. So like you said, be your fantastic version, whatever that looks like for you. Oh, Dave, I could talk to you all day long, you know. Um, you might need to wee and eat and things like that. Um, so uh, is there anything else on your heart that you want to share um, before we wrap up today? No, just uh, we're about to open up the health retreat up in Byron. So that's that's really exciting time. We've actually built something um, and we're going to be helping those who have um you know have got long COVID um, and vaccine injury and cancer and you know all of these chronic diseases that are popping up um, so we've got that we're going to do compounding pharmacy so you have access to IVs all of that sort of thing on this beautiful premise uh, that we've got and uh, that's really exciting so that's just about to start we've got um, a festival in August so the 24th of the 8th um, 2408 24 Mm. Is our festival date and that'll go for a couple of days so this is byron hinterland area so for those who want to learn more about that stay tuned and we're going to release that uh soon as to what guests we've got coming out but um that being around community like-minded people who are on that pathway i think you gain so much energy and it was uh the last picnic we just did it was like being on drugs to be honest the only uh, you know, the only thing that I'd previously had to that sort of level of energy was like a synthetic drug. And there's always a down to that, yep. <laughs> always the, the ugly side of that. But when we actually come together with like-minded people, I think that we can have the same sort of experience naturally. And that's pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to that event in August. Well, that sounds like an absolute perla. So um, you give me those links because I'll put everything in the description. Um, also, I'll put in the description for Living Free as well. Now, people can join that at any time, can't they? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yep. So yep. it's a community platform. And, yeah, the best deal is um, there's $200 for all the all platform pass or it's a hundred dollars for one of them. If you just want heal me or lawful me or whatever, mm -hmm. and lots of guests, um, lots of experts, lots of questions and lots of resources up there. Um, but then you'll be part of the, the living free family and then, you know, come to all our events. So we'll have to get you up there for the August one. Maybe you can chat to people and about That'd be awesome. as well. So we'll, uh, we'll try to tee that up. Oh, done deal. Thanks. Well, we've got it recorded now, so I'm up there. Need a holiday. <laughs> That'll be awesome. You're going to be there too, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Have absolutely. To. Yeah, awesome. No, that's great. Thanks, Dave. I um, 
Yeah, I just, I, I love all of this and I, I, I'll put every single link in here. So what is the best way for people to find out about the events, by the way? Is that different through than the Living 3 movement? Like how can they find out if they're a member it'll or be, not? It'll be through the membership, but we will put it out publicly as well as to yeah, the cool. event. Um, yeah. But that will probably be Tom Tom Barnett's channels yeah. uh, as well. So he'll keep people up updated. I don't have too many public channels. We do have a couple of living free channels, but um, yeah, we've sort of stayed in the private up until now. Yeah. And we'll out a bit, but livingfreemovement.org um, mm -hmm. is the website and you can go there and pick your memberships. And then once you're in, you'll get updates on everything we do, including all the picnics. A lot of our members just organize picnics as well, just catch ups in their local area. Yes. And that's been really successful. And um, the connections that come out of that is amazing. We've got people staying in each other's houses and we've got people that will drive up from Melbourne and they stay at Living Free members' houses on the way up. And yeah. it's it's so cool to, to see people naturally doing that. And I guess, you know, that connection is much deeper when mm. you have those experiences. So Yeah, absolutely. I've been to one of the lunches here as well. And it's good because you you with your like-minded people and learning and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Dave, just Seriously, thank you so much for being on today. And I also want to thank uh, everyone at home. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this conversation with us. Absolutely so grateful for you as well. If you like this episode, uh, give it a rating if you're listening on the podcast or a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube, um, a comment, all that sort of stuff. Always love hearing from you. So thank you for being here. But again, Dave, just Thank you for your wisdom. You're awesome. And just sharing your heart with us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to be on any time. Awesome. We'll get you back. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thanks, Dave.